on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Warning! X-Ray Vision, this podcast regularly contains spoilers. This episode may be a little less since it's a lot about the recent news that has come out that was covered on Disney Plus Day and some other news drops. But still, just kind of like as a general warning, a general disclaimer, we got spoilers. We always do. You've been warned. My name is Jason Concepcion. Welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comic books, pop culture, and more. In today's episode, we're going to cover a, a bunch of the, the news that came out on Disney Plus Day with our good friend Rosie Knight in the Omnibus. I'll be talking about some of the history behind Mark Spector, the Moon Knight, a character whose solo uh, standalone show on Disney Plus was announced on Disney Plus Day. And we will also explore the soon-to-be-released, very, very soon-to-be-released datation of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series on Amazon, and we'll be discussing that with the very talented, very knowledgeable Preeti Chibber, who has her own Wheel of Time podcast that she uh, co-hosts, and so we're absolutely delighted to have her with us. And in the end game, Rosie and I will be doing another round of Assembly Required, where we try and assemble a team that will accomplish a mission that is selected by our fantastic producers. And then finally, a little plug for ourselves, with Shang-Chi uh, now out on Disney+, Plus. if you haven't watched it yet, please watch it. And then check out uh, the X-Ray Vision podcast, in which we cover Shang-Chi. Up next, The Airlock. Disney Plus Day, the first annual Disney Plus Day, uh, was November 12th, and Disney's continuing bid to dominate our lives put us in a chokehold and never let us stop looking at their content. And, man, it was a big news day for fans of the stuff. Joining us now <laughs> is Rosie Knight to talk about all of the Disney Plus stuff, and there is there's a lot of it. There's a it's lot, a lot of, it. of stuff. And, listen... I'm in the bag for it. I'll, I'll like admit it. Are there problems? Do, do we need to think about our relationship to corporations constantly and constantly calibrate those things and wonder how, you know, is this the healthiest way to live? Of course. Sure. We should think about that. But also, I was really excited by a lot of this stuff. What can I say? I don't know what to say about it, Rosie. How did yeah, you feel? I, well, my first thought is like Marvel Studios has someone who loves to design a logo. There's like a yes, thousand logos. The logo. So Graphic many design logos. truly is their passion. It's actually their passion and they're good at it. But no, no, I feel you. That's the constant battle. Like we've loved this stuff since when, you know, Marvel was going to go yes. bankrupt and was not owned by a huge corporation. Uh, we were both actually probably too young to know DC. It was better when they were bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> it was better when they 
were bankrupt and run by Ike Palmer and had to save themselves yeah. with toy biz. No, but like, it is that constant battle between like corporate saturation. And this was a good, hilarious example of like corporate hubris because Disney was just dropping that news on Twitter. They didn't do a press Dropping. release, right? They were just like, pow, pow, Here, pow. Here's take a, it. Boom, he, boom, boom. They put, they put those clips and they were up from on Disney Plus from like 8 a.m. And nobody saw them till like 11 <laughs> because everyone was like, I don't know. I'm not watching this 14 minute video. But yeah, I can't help but get excited because we are getting to the really weird stuff now. Marvel Studios has always been weird because of the pre-existing licensing. Yeah. So we were always getting slightly less famous characters, even though it doesn't feel like it now. Iron Man, Captain America, even the Avengers. Yeah, th Those were that's not a great, the top tier. That's a great point, because at the time, people forget this when you go back to the days of like 2006, 2007, 2008. But at the time, the accepted argument was, oh, DC Warner Brothers has Batman. They're cleaning up. Everybody knows who Batman mm -hmm. is. Everybody knows who Superman is. These guys are super famous. Who the fuck is Captain America? Iron Who's Man? Iron like, Man? nobody like, cared eh. about Iron Man. Yeah, so people did not really get where the MCU was going with these characters, which was, you know, honestly, they were going with the characters that they owned. It was by necessity. Yeah. And so to, to get to this stage where we're kind of in this weird cross point where Marvel has back, you know, flagship characters like Spider-Man. That was who was really missing. You know, that was the Sony. And now they have this collaboration. And we're looking towards X-Men, Fantastic Four, all these characters oh. they didn't own. But at the same time, because of streaming... We are getting this influx of just super weird. I mean, I still am getting over, you know, a Shang-Chi movie, a Eternals movie. That is weird enough. But then you're getting into this, the TV world where they have to make so much content they to kind of it. keep encouraging. Well, we saw like they didn't hit the Wall Street kind of idea of what they thought they would make this year. The right. subscriber numbers slowed slightly. So they were just like, pow, here's everything that we have and i'm like so what where, where are we going next <laughs> where how deep is this gonna go because we are already in a weird space with you know she hulk who i, I love she hulk so i'm stoked moon knight like these are characters that nobody ever thought would get a movie let alone a, a prestige miniseries okay before we get into it let's do some quick housekeeping uh it was announced a few days ago that dr strange to dr strange into the mouth of madness is undergoing reshoots there was like mild panic on the social media spheres as some, you know, part of like the kind of rumor was that, oh, it scored, it scored poorly and therefore they have to do reshoots. That's how it, let me just say this. If that is the case, that's how it works. That's why they do the scoring. Reshoots always happen. They I just all, have to and say there are reshoots, reshoots happen every everything. time. <laughs> Literally every, every single Marvel movie has had reshoots. So yeah. don't they just It's a little bit of drama. It. They like to sprinkle the drama. I saw a really funny, one of the reports had someone who was like, this is like the same amount of reshoots we've done for every Marvel movie. Yeah. Like it's not a big deal. And obviously there was another source that was like, actually, it is a big deal because they, the, they want the spice. But the truth is, every movie has reshoots. It's, it doesn't mean the movie's bad. It just means they, they didn't do something. I think they said as well it might have been a talent access issue. Right, right. Somebody COVID and then overlapping schedules and Especially then somebody had to come back in. Yeah, We can guess that in the Multiverse of Madness, there's going to be some outrageous cameos probably if we're into a spider-verse world where we're getting and we are <laughs> and we are as to, i think i think that there by the time this comes out i think there will be a new trailer okay let's get into it up first you mentioned it first and i'll be doing uh, my omnibus on a slightly deeper dive we'll go deeper when the show comes out but a slightly deeper dive into this character it is the moon knight teaser trailer starring oscar isaac honestly you know, maybe their most high-profile actor 
oh, yeah. casting ever. Maybe Oscar Isaac and Mahershala. Like mm-hmm. people say, you know, RDJ was kind of, and this is. It was a First comeback. First of all, all respect to RDJ. He was a little bit damaged goods at the time. Yeah, it was a comeback. It I was mean, a it comeback. Was, it was, that was the so story. This is, so this is a big one. It's I love for, Moon Knight. I have I, always I, loved Moon Knight. Moon Knight, super weird character that over that started as essentially a Batman clone and then became over time a kind of exploration of mental illness. You know, mental illness being such a big part of the kind of public conversation now. Interesting to see where that goes and if that can be done in a way that is like respectful. But what were your thoughts? Okay, so I agree with you. I think Moon Knight's like a really interesting character. I think the the costume has always been slightly problematic. Looks too much like a Klansman. Yes, so I'm very, glad that, like, that's very clan. <laughs> um, the whole thing is weird. I thought casting Oscar was really cool because the character has a lot of connections to like different kind of ideas of like Egyptian mythology. And, and I feel like there's ways they can reimagine that to fit Oscar. But I have to say... This trailer does not give me good hopes for how this movie is going to deal with disassociative identity disorder. Like, I can't believe that the first thing they put out from this movie had Oscar Isaac doing like a "Oi, Mister Umadad" voice at the beginning, and he's is like, that Jake, I "Is can't. that Jake Lockley, the, the taxi know, cab like, character?" It makes me want to cry. Like, I, when that happened, I was just like, "I well, really let's hope say, it's going to be say good." This. I, I think that I have the, I have the same concerns. That said, if you really want to get into it. There's kind of no way to do this in a way that is respectful and good in terms of, like, people who really suffer from this illness. The comics, I I think the comics are extremely entertaining, and I wish they had never actually called it disassociative disorder in the comics. I wish they had never labeled it because they did label it in the comics, and— you know, you, it's, yeah. there are many critiques that you can find of over their uh, depiction of, of that particular malady. The thing is, I think that you can, I think that you can do it. And I, I don't even really, the, the mental health stuff is like, I hope they do it well, but it's also a superhero movie, a superhero show. So I'm like, but the, just the accent is so bad. Like, I just can't get over it. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, am I meant, like, that to me was the bit where I was just like, Oscar, like, I've seen you be good in things, but I've also seen other movies you did that weren't like Star Wars, where I, I see a bit more of that side of you coming out. And the, the worrying thing to me was when he was like, I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. And I was like, please tell me this is not the main identity. Because if you are struggling no, no, no. to tell the difference, I'm like, that's please. not going to be the. That's so not it, even the second. That's like that's going to be the. So it looked a bit it looked a bit goofy to me, but I did think that it looked really cool when the character jumped across the moon. I love the it. kind of sky and and that, that part I thought I was really it, cool. It does seem, and again, this is like a very short snippet, but my sense is this pulls mainly from the Jeff Lemire series that found Mark Spector in a mental hospital, kind of like in a very disconnected fashion, shifting between different character point of views, not really knowing how he got there and being inside the mental hospital with various of his own identities, wondering how he got there. It does seem to take pretty explicitly from that. This is my guess. I think that's the case. And I think that also we got a little kind of glimpse of him with like some kind of artifact and I think they're gonna kind of a long time for a long time a lot of fan casting for like a new Indiana Jones style franchise was like have Oscar Isaac 
have him yeah. stealing the things back and returning them to wherever they came from. And I think they're going to build in a little bit of an aspect like that, where it's kind of an inverted Indiana Jones. He has to get some artifacts, yes. maybe take some things back to Egypt, like wherever they decide that they're going to go with the kind of origins. I'm really interested to see where it goes, because this is another thing kind of like Eternals, where there's very few people who really deeply know the lore of Moon Knight, so they can have a lot of freedom with it. So yeah, I'm really interested, but I definitely think the Jeff Lemire stuff is going to be key. Yes, I agree. And I think that from the lore perspective, it's also, the lore has just honestly changed so much. Like er early Moon Knight is just, Mark Spector had these aliases. And then by the mid 80s, it was Mark Spector is doing these aliases, but it's just very taxing on him and it's emotionally and psychologically psychologically wearying. And then eventually that became, oh, these are actually full-blown personalities that he Uh has. And then eventually it became Mark Spector probably not a sane human being. Yeah, I will also say, he's possessed by like an Egyptian god. That's right, like and so a- that's the other part of it is like, <laughs> there's also Khonshu that is that mm-hmm. is fracturing Mark's mind, but then there's also, you know, like recent events, and I'll talk about this in the Omniscan, recent events in Jason Aaron's Avengers run is kind of like defined Khonshu's influence a little bit more strongly, but it mm. for a few years there, it was unclear whether Mark was mentally ill or yeah. whether Khonshu was just such a malign influence on his mind that it was mm-hmm. like breaking him or some combination of those two things. I'm excited. I will say uh, I, I was reading some of their early uh, Moon Knight stuff over the weekend. And it's funny because Mark Spector uh, is a former mercenary, uh, commit you know aggressively committing war crimes uh, on multiple continents. Classic novel hero. <laughs> yeah, there's like a part where he's like, <laughs> they're they're gunning down these the the crew he's with is like gunning down these villagers, and Mark's like, oh, this is bad. I I don't I I I don't know if I can be involved in this. And his buddy Frenchie is like, should we quit? And Mark's like doesn't answer he's just like uh (laughs) wait hold on he's like frenchy quiet bushman who is their boss at the time quiet frenchy bushman is coming it's like okay can i get an answer enough if we're going to quit or if we're going to continue to collect the paychecks for murdering villagers also like the the bushman stuff they're gonna really need to re because it's like so racist yeah they gotta like so so racist so uh, yeah, I think the kind of rumors about like Ethan Hawke maybe taking that on, that would be controversial because he's usually a black character, but you could do something interesting and invert it and kind of make some other characters around to kind of add that diversity back. Because that's, I was always really impressed with what they did uh, with M'Baku and Black Panther yeah. and took this character who'd come from this racial stereotype and turned it into something just so brilliant, like this fan favorite, incredible character. So I, I hope that they can kind of do something like that. Because that, that's another thing. Every time I think about the, the the costume and Bushman, I'm just like, come on, guys. I'm like, what year was this? <laughs> uh, up next, She-Hulk, the trailer for She-Hulk, uh, the much anticipated She-Hulk uh, that uh, our good friend... <laughs> Our good friend Zig is on the writing staff for, starring Tatiana Maslany as the uh, title character, Jennifer Walters, the She-Hulk. This, again, we there's very little, but it looked fun. I love yeah. that it opens with a kind of reference to the kind of like yoga centering kind of exercises that Bruce did to try and get the, get the Hulk under control. And listen, I think we are, we're... We're ready for a legal drama. 
Yeah. We're ready for a legal drama in the MCU. And also I think like, so I love that opening too, because it's like a really nice nod to that. And it's also like, if you see those old She-Hulk covers from the 80s, yeah. she is like always wearing like exercise clothes and yes. stuff. <laughs> like it's really weird and Like biker, and, biker shorts and like yeah, a workout and like, top. And like a, you yeah. know, a headband and everything. And I think it's because like She-Hulk was basically created by Marvel so that they would be able to keep the licensing rights to a female version of the character in case Hulk did it first the TV show on CBS. And um, I kind of love that that character has become this own kind of incredible space in her own right, even though she was just a rights grab. And now she's this kind of got her own legal drama. And I think the coolest thing about this is like, if it's anything like the comics, you know, we kind of touched on this with Eternals when we were talking about Eros. She-Hulk is, this could basically be an episodic legal drama where every week there is a different Marvel character that they introduce. And I think that's probably the route that we're going to see. Maybe some will have two episodes or whatever, but I think that's generally the vibe that we'll get. Because that's the most famous She-Hulk stuff is her representing different Marvel superheroes, villains, anti-heroes in these kind of often comedic, sometimes more serious cases. Like I loved that Hellcat series. It was drawn by Brittany yeah. Williams from a few years ago. That was Hellcat and, you know, and She-Hulk and She-Hulk was a lawyer and the law office was just full of, like, it was Matt Murdock. It was whoever else needed it in New York. And I just think that's a really exciting prospect, especially if they dig into that legal drama aspect. I was uh, surprised that Emil Blonsky, the abomination last seen in Shang-Chi, kind of being a a cool guy, which was uh, (laughs) not what we expected of of Emil uh, from past appearances, will appear in this, I would guess, as an antagonist. But that's exciting news. And also Jamila Jamila's uh, Titania. Yeah, who... I think it's, I think the Emil Blonsky thing's really interesting because my reading of the Shang-Chi thing is he's obviously working, he was working like slightly with Wong. So there's some kind of gray area there. So I, I'm really excited. Yeah, Titania, obviously like iconic She-Hulk uh, villain. So I think that, and I don't, I think that what they'll probably do in this is it will be more of an antagonistic relationship than like a straight villain. Yeah. I think the real battle here is they kind of hinted in the, you know, what was it like 30 seconds that we got? I think the real battle, like any good Hulk story, is really about her getting control of those powers. So in the comics, it's a blood transfusion from Bruce yes. that that turns Jennifer uh, into the She-Hulk. And unlike, well, I guess kind of like MCU Bruce, um, but unlike comics Bruce, uh, Jennifer maintains basically all of her intelligence and personality Mm -hmm. and just decides I'm going to hang out as She-Hulk for basically all the time, which I might add in terms of being a lawyer, I prefer Jennifer Walters just being She-Hulk in the courtroom rather than Matt Murdock, who I love. I love Daredevil. (laughs) I love Matt Murdock, but the guy is out at night, like beating people up and then comes into the courtroom and acts like, She's definitely more. He hasn't been like doing illegal shit like all the time. At least She Hulk is there, and you're like, okay, that's She Hulk. I get it. I kind of understand the context here. I understand that she's been out doing Avengers stuff, beating up bad people, etc. Murdoch like pretending to be blind in the dock, like oh, but really he can just sense everything that's going on. He's like probably broken somewhere to get some evidence to help his case. A hundred percent. And also he's like, aha. That thing I just said uh, resonated with juror number three. I felt mm-hmm. their heartbeat jump. Therefore, <laughs> I'm going to pursue this line of questioning. I, again, I love Matt Murdock, but he's okay, push, so he's just pushing it a little bit. And I'm glad that are, we finally get the the the, the yeah the more the honest, just version of a legal drama from Marvel. So, 
so as a, a Matt Murdock superstan, what do you think the odds are that we will see Matt Murdock in this series? Because those two usually go hand in hand. I, I think we get a mention, mm. but I think we would have known by now if yeah. he appears. I think that, and I think recasting that role, if they do decide to recast it or reintroduce however they decide to do it, I think that'll be big news, obviously, because, yeah. you know, that that character has so many fans. But I do think that they'll be... You know, like a. You have to have a mention of the loss, the, the, some, you know, something Murdoch and uh, what's his best mate's name? Like, uh, you foggy. have to just, yeah, yeah, you just have to mention the lawsuit. Or, you know, they could be the warring legal team that you Yeah, it'd be seen. like, fuck, I lost, I lost this client yeah. to, to Murdoch. And then, like, in the final episode, you know, the door to, like, the Murdoch office <laughs> opens, but you don't see it. You know what they're like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I feel like we're in a really interesting space because all of this stuff is so exciting. But it, they dropped it at this time when we're either about to go, we're going to go into Spider-Man No Way Home, and that's either going to blow everything up in this really big way, or it's just going to be a one movie that plays with that stuff and then shuts it kind of back down a little bit. So it's kind of hard to prophesize because people are like, they think Matt Murdock's going to be in No Way Home because it's right. set in New York. and da, da, da. So for all we know, he could be, and then he'll be in She-Hulk as a main character, blah, blah, blah. But we don't know. Like The No Way Home factor is, is such an interesting space. That's such a good point. And I would also say that one of the things I've noted, obviously Marvel Comics lore is extremely New York City-centric. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of wild to watch that translate to the screen. Now we have She-Hulk, who's, you know, uh, yeah. we would imagine is going to be New York-centric. Of course, uh, the Spider-Man stuff with all the different Spider-Men is New York-centric. Uh, Moon Knight running around the streets of Manhattan at night. And then, you know, we're just uh, waiting for uh, for Daredevil to be reintroduced. I'm excited. She-Hulk is the one, is the one I'm really, like, that this is going to be that, fun. That was the one that spoke to me the most. I also just, I really love that, they didn't play around with the, oh, it's a spoiler that Mark Ruffalo might be in this. And they were just like, here's Mark Ruffalo. He's the Hulk. This story doesn't work without, it's not like Venom where they tried to make Venom work without Spider-Man. Right. Like they were like, She-Hulk and Hulk are the same. Boom, this is going to happen. And I love the little fun ending where it was like the kind of throwback to the old Hulk TV show where they're standing next to each other yeah, and that. that you wouldn't like me when you, but it had that cool like old school feel. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that because I think, some of the stuff that resonates with people the most in the MCU is when they try and do something different genre-wise. It's why people love Captain America and Winter Soldier so much because it felt like this spy kind of, you know, espionage thriller. It's why WandaVision kind of blew people's minds. And I think that we haven't really had that broad kind of dramedy fun yet. And I think that's what She-Hulk is going to give us. So I'm stoked for it. Next up is the teaser for Miss Marvel, which is coming out summer 2022. Iman Vellani playing the titular Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. So, okay, this is from a, a period of Marvel history where it was, like, unclear whether Marvel would ever get the movie rights back to the X-Men. So it seemed as if they were positioning the Inhumans to yes. be the kind of, like, mutants for the MCU, and they were laying the groundwork that, for that in the comics. And one <laughs> of the ways they laid the groundwork for that was the releasing of a Terrigen bomb. Uh, Terrigen mist is the kind of substance that reveals an inhuman's powers, specific power set. And this bomb was set off, uh, you know, like over New York City, and one of the results of it was that Kamala Khan uh, developed these kind of I guess like the most simplistic version is shape-shifting powers. Yeah. It was a really fun series, a really great character. She is from Jersey City, Pakistani-American, 
and of the Muslim religion, uh, and is just like a super fun. Yeah, has been it, a super fun character, and the solo series, the initial so, solo series, was super. Yeah, fun. it's kind of hard to overstate like how successful this book was as yes. well. So it was Son Armat, who's who was the, who's an editor, Stephen Wecker, who's an editor, and G Willow Wilson was the writer. Adrian Alfono and Jamie McKelvey designed the iconic costume. And when this book came out, this is the constant query of Marvel. How do we create a new Spider-Man? That's always what they say. Every 10 years, they're like, how do we create a new Spider-Man? Who's the street level hero that's going to kind of hit? And it was Miss Marvel. In the 80s, it was Speedball. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like they tried and they tried, but Miss Marvel hit. I remember at the time, I think it was one of the first Marvel comics in a while. This was before the kind of new speculation boom. That comic went to six, the first issue went to six or seven printings. Yeah, that and it was happen. the first time it had happened in such, I think since the Star Wars comic that they'd done um, one of the relaunches. And it is just like, this comic was like a phenomenon. It has a really fun premise, which connected yeah. to another really successful comic. Kamala is a fan. She's a fanfic writer. She loves Captain Marvel. She loves Wolverine. So you got to have all these fun, it was a really good way of introducing a new character who had all these deep, connections to the wider Marvel universe, which is, again, are we is the show going to be in that space where this could be another place where they could introduce some other Marvel characters that people love? Because that's such her fandom and her love of these characters yeah. is like a huge, huge part of who Kamala is. I thought this teaser was like super, super cute. What did you think about it? Yeah, I liked it as well. I, I, I love the, you hit on it, the kind of fandom, the meta- commentary of the characters one of the most fun things about uh about marvel comics characters within the universe is like how famous they are and how they react to being Mm -hmm. famous Uh, now sometimes there's like these weird discordant notes where it's like wolverine and like colossus drinking at a bar in manhattan and nobody bothers them (laughs) but uh but a lot of times you get really fun depictions like this like uh kamala who is like a a super fan of superheroes. And so that aspect of it um, is going to be really fun, particularly with Spider-Man No Way Home coming out and, Mm -hmm. and Peter like struggling with the fact that he is now famous. Everybody knows who he is and knows that he is Spider-Man and like, what do I do with this? And how does, how do I deal with this? And I think the New York stuff you were talking about is actually really interesting because the more we think about it, this is Jersey City. A lot of the original arc dealt with a lot of really cool stuff. Like I think it was Hydra was trying to gentrify Kamala's area, all this kind of fun stuff. But you have this, you have Hawkeye. You know, she is obviously, I would love to see Kamala, you know, taking a selfie with Wolverine, which is like a really famous moment from the comics. But it's far more likely this is a kid who grew up you know, she's a teenager. She grew up in an age where the Avengers were heroes who she knew. And she lives, uh, you know, a few miles away from where Hawkeye is saving things with Kate Bishop. Like, I think there's a really cool space for this to kind of, do you remember when the Netflix Marvel shows came out? And every time that like somebody mentioned the Battle of New York or how somebody had died in it or it had trashed, it felt so exciting. And I feel like Kamala Khan kind of could have that space of, we know what the Avengers have been up to, but how has it been to be like a kid watching the Avengers save the world or knowing that the Avengers or Spider-Man? Yeah. You know, I and, and Kamala and Miles have like a really, really deep connection in the comics and there's a lot of team ups and stuff like that. So I think that 
with No Way Home on the way and Miss Marvel coming into the space, I just I think there's going to be a younger generation of heroes, not just the Young Avengers, but perhaps Miles, you know, Kamala, this kind of more champions esque team that we're going to start seeing coming together, and I think it's it's really exciting. I hope that they get into, you know, with so much of the, again, with the kind of like New York metro area being such a character in all of this, uh, and you mentioned the Hydra gentrification of Jersey City. <laughs> you know, that has been a topic in recent comic. Doctor Strange dealt with mm-hmm. gentrification and in the West Village with basically like a demon real estate company trying to buy Bleecker <laughs> Street and turn it into, you know, like a Starbucks or whatever. I wonder if we ever go there. That would be really fun as we as we kind of get more of these street level things. And yeah. that, again, perfect lane for some crossover with She-Hulk or Matt mm-hmm. Murdock or any of these characters that in the past, even Hawkeye, have yeah. dealt with uh, issues of affordable housing. No, I think I think that's very likely. I think we got a touch. One of the most powerful moments from the, the first kind of arc of, of Miss Marvel is the first time Kamala transforms, she transforms to look like old Captain Marvel, like yeah. white blonde hair when she was Miss Marvel. Um, you know, black and like kind of, and she, and we get a touch of that in the trailer where she says, you know, brown girls from Jersey aren't the ones saving the world. Yes. So I think we're definitely going to get a touch of that kind of street level. The thing that really isn't that what ev- ever since Spider-Man, you that know, is the Spider-Man these, thing, right? These yeah. are the things like, this is what Marvel always said. We're set in real places. We don't call places Gotham. We call them New York. And we, we don't have heroes who are supermen. We don't have gods. We have people who have real emotions, who deal with real problems, who... And that was the their selling point. And I think the reason Miss Marvel hit so well with kids, with adults, with people who loved Marvel, who'd never read Marvel, is it has that core. So, I, And I think looking at the team with like Bisha and having this kind of new lens on the universe, I think that we'll definitely at least get a touch of that kind of political-minded, like, progressive superhero storytelling, but on that street level, that ground that ground level. Uh, up next, uh, just an image of a very grizzled Nick Fury as a promo for Secret Invasion. So this is apparently a loose adaptation of the Secret Invasion crossover series by Brian Michael Bendis and Lionel Francis Yu, that told the story of a kind of like long-running scroll plot to replace notable people within Earth's kind of like security structure to like weaken it from the inside so that they can launch a grand invasion. And this crossed over to the X-Men books, the Avengers books. Uh, it was a big event at the time. The uh, The main comics are super readable. They give you the whole story. Yeah. It, like if you want to just like check out the eight-issue uh, comics crossover event, you can do that on marvel unlimited or you can pick that up very easily as a trade what are your thoughts here okay so i'm like uh, i actually you know events and crossovers are such a controversial thing in comics but i do i think secret invasion super exciting i like super i like created i like it not only that it has some fucking incredible spin-offs and crossovers there's this jason aaron mini series called see wakanda and die and it's about how the scrolls tried to take over Wakanda and they couldn't. Yeah, they they couldn't just couldn't. It. And it, and it's and the first page when you go in is this splash of like all these scroll heads in front of Wakanda. And I I I'm really excited about Secret Invasion. I know that Feige said it's not going to match the scale and the scope. And I'm kind of sad about that only in the sense that 
One of the things I've been really excited about since they announced Secret Invasion was finding out which of the Avengers they were going to reveal had been a Skrull at least That's, for a little yeah, bit of this time. This is the thing. Who is the Skrull? I always, I'm, I hate Hawkeye, so I'm always like, it's Hawkeye. I made like a Photoshop. <laughs> I'm like, it was definitely, that's the only reason he would kill Hiroyuki Sonata. Like just, just, it's got to be Hawkeye. But I actually think, I think they're going to play a little bit safer. I don't know if they're going to do a big reveal of any certain one Avenger who's been a scroll. I think it's going to be more like this tight espionage, suspicion, paranoia. And I also think it's going to be a big thing is going to be introducing Amelia Clark, who got cast in it. And I think she's going to play Jessica Drew slash the scroll queen because that's that right. whole double. And then I think you can have a dual casting where she really is Jessica Drew whenever you come, whenever she's you know, gets freed from the scrolls or whatever. But yeah, I want them to be like, oh, this hero's a, a scroll. This hero's a scroll. But I, I don't know if they're going to do it at this point because I think it's going to be a more like small scale, like sci-fi thriller and rather than like the big thing that we might have dreamed of as after In the, the comics, comics, it is revealed that, you know, uh, certain Marvel characters, the kind of shocking one, I guess, like the, the, the first one where you're like, uh-oh, is Elektra mm-hmm. because you just don't know how long these people have been scrolls, and some of them actually you find out have been scrolls for a significant portion of time. <laughs> a long, long time. Uh, a long, long time, uh, including, uh, you know, Clint Barton's love interest, Mockingbird, who was thought dead, but then actually was a scroll. She's really had a hard time of it. She has had a really, really, really tough time. Uh, but but yeah, dead, so my, here's my theory. Scroll. I think it's Maria Hill. I think oh, it's Hill. I, I think hope, it's Hill, I and I think it's that. been Hill, like, since... Like Winter Soldier Hill. Yeah. Like has she's been a scroll the whole time. I would buy it. A hundred percent. Also, I'm really interested to see how with uh Captain Marvel they did something so controversial where they made the scrolls like they weren't these evil villains. They were this like kind kind of yes. almost like an immigrant analogy where so I'm really interested to see. I don't want to see that classic Marvel thing where it's like, well, these radical ones, they're the bad ones. So I'm hoping that there's some kind of higher echelon of almost like a corporate or like monarchy of scrolls. And they're the ones who've been trying to kind of take over other places while the normal scrolls are just trying to live their lives. You know, it, it Ben is like, Ben Mendelsohn is so funny as Talos. So I think him and- He is so, he yeah, is hilarious. Him and Nick, <laughs> I, I went on the set visit for, the, for Captain Marvel and he did the whole thing in the Talos makeup and it was before the movie came out. So he couldn't say he was a baddie or a goodie or whatever. So he just did it as if he was like Talos and it was just one of the funniest <laughs> things. He's like, yeah, I'm scrolling, baby. Like I'm just, just keep scrolling. Like, and he couldn't say it. And he had the full, like, you know, the chin makeup and everything. So yeah, I think Secret Invasion- Part of me, I feel like I, I'm like, is it secretly going to be much bigger than we think? Because they're casting so many big names and we've got yeah, all these other shows that are kind of leading into it. I think I think there's a chance it could be the first kind of Avengers of the that Disney is Plus what, era. That is my suspicion because, you know, we've been we've been sitting here wondering what what's going to be the crossover Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously they're introducing a lot of like the kind of like nighttime characters. So is it going to be like a vampire thing? Is it going to be, what is it going to be? I Secret Invasion is a good one for it. It's yeah. like, listen, you know, Marvel uh, loves to fight aliens. We love it when our superheroes team up and fight aliens. So that could be it. And I do think that, listen, Feige has lied before. Lied. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the job, right? You just, right, yeah. you got to keep the secrets. I think, I think this is going to be the TV one. I still think that we could get a Secret Wars 
for the movies. Like that's something I see coming in the movies, but I think this could be the Avengers of, of Disney plus. I think we get time runs out with the, I think we, mm. how they kind of like cur- cut down all, all the multiverse craziness yeah. is a collapse of all the multiverses. Yeah. The battle world. And exactly, then, exactly. And then the heroes uh, figure it out. It's not a coincidence that they're introducing multiple secret secluded societies who all have different styles of fighting yes. just before a kind of potential battle world. So these are the kind of like quicker hit things, no images released, just kind of logos and stuff. Agatha House of Harkness, Jack Schaefer back as WandaVision head writer. Love Catherine Hahn, good for her. Love, love Catherine that. Hahn, love Marvel magic. Let's get more of it. Yeah. Echo. Maya Lopez uh, Echo, played by Alakwa Cox. Love this. She'll be introed in Hawkeye Echo. Maya Lopez is deaf hero who has the power, very Taskmaster-like, mm-hmm. but we'll be more explicit with how this power is used in this show. But basically can watch someone do something and then immediately can do it. Yeah, and I just saw that they had this brilliant uh, deaf writer and actress called Shoshana who um, was in, I think, Supernatural and did this amazing deaf sitcom called This Close, and she's been a writer on that show. So they're really, like, getting in. Like, I think this is going to be, like, a really legit rep. And also, it's an Indigenous character played by Indigenous deaf actor. I just I just think that's really cool, and I'm super excited to see her in Hawkeye. Next, what if season two? Great. Got it, of course. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening, of course. We knew it. Marvel Zombies. Unexpected. (laughs) But you know what? It makes sense. It makes 100% sense. Listen, the the comics, the Kirkman uh, penned comics were a big hit at the time. I liked them. Because, yeah. you know, listen, I love zombies and I love Marvel. It's it fun. Was, it was big, dumb zombie fun and I enjoyed and it. Also, isn't this exactly what we actually were saying that we thought they were going to do once they did What If and they proved they could make animation? We were like, just yeah. go back and start making these famous arcs that are easy, self-contained, and you can have fun with. And I think Marvel Zombies is a, is a, going to be the first of many. Spider-Man freshman year animated series, which uh, follows Peter Parker post you know, I, I would imagine basically yeah. the origin story of Peter Parker yeah. gets bit by the spider. And then what is he in the months following that? How does he eventually become a Spider-Man RIP to the to the homie Uncle Ben? <laughs> We're going to see you get got one, one more, more time. time. One more time. <laughs> I actually like I, I'm like whatever Peter Parker, like sure. But Jeff Trammell is the head writer. And I think which is their equivalent of Sharon. And he did Craig of the Creek, which I just love. Yeah. So I'm like, this. I think this could have a real potential to have a little bit more heart and a little bit of that more like street level stuff we were talking about. So I'm I'm really interested to see that. I am Groot. This is fascinating to me. I don't know where we're going with this. Is this going to be Groot's origin story like on his superflora planet where he was, people forget this, but Groot was once could speak and also was once like it was canon that he was like the king of his, like, super flora, like, planet. Will Vin Diesel be coming back to say I am Groot for the whole miniseries? But this is going to be apparently, like, baby Groot growing up. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, like, from the art, which was really cute, I'm guessing this is kind of going to be a younger viewers. Like, you can enjoy it if you're our age, but I think it's more of, like, an Olaf Presents type, like, we have kids, we can sell a Groot toy. Groot is cute. So, like, man... The script, I just want to look at one script. <laughs> because, like, is it just like I... 
So I like all I the dialogue remember. is like, I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot. I always remember that the rumor around Guardians of the Galaxy when it first came out was that there was a real script that had all the real lines that Groot was meant to be saying. And then they gave that to Vin Diesel and he translated it to the I am Groot. So I don't know if that's true, but I would I would be interested to know if that was really the case. <laughs> you know, just one of the most subtle, nuanced, and emotionally evocative actors that we have ever had. Vin Diesel, <laughs> able to... Everyone you know, cried when he said, we are Groot. Everyone cried. Everyone. <laughs> Then, Not a dry eye in the house. Uh, finally, X Men ninety seven. It's back, baby. This is this is so wild. So, like, I think that I knew they were going to do something like this because, like, Disney Store has uh, yeah, X Men ninety two branded toys. So I knew they were coming in. But one of the things that I'm really interested to see. We know it's going to have that theme tune, obviously. We know it's going to continue the story, but I don't think it's going to be. One, people need to remember, Disney did not make that show. The they animation, when you, I, I love that show. I love the way it kind of decompresses these really classic stories and condenses them. Yeah, it does but it like it, the one, animation, one to two episodes. Yeah, yeah, the Phoenix Saga, it's happened. But like the animation, when you go back, is very low budget. It was made, you know, on a, on a very small... I think this is going to have a different look because they actually, um, there's this incredible artist that I follow on Instagram called Chase Connolly, which is at St. Chase, who you have probably seen because he does a lot of, um, one of his most famous images that went viral, he drew the Green Goblin, but with waves. Because you know, in Marvel, Norman Osborn's always drawn with waves. So he drew the Green Goblin with waves. His art style is very contemporary and very cool, very like streetwear influenced Miles Morales. And he is an episodic director on the show so i think that's i think that we're gonna get something that looks a bit different but continues the story i hope that that is the case and because i think you're right to point out like disney's not gonna just run it back with stories that were told by a company that is not them they're Mm -hmm. gonna do their own thing Uh, so that's gonna be very fun Ironheart, uh, in which uh, Riri Williams, played by Dominique Thorne, Ironheart is, uh, you know, the kind of uh, mission creep of Stark Tech. Riri Williams, one of the great geniuses of the mm-hmm. Marvel Universe, truly one of the two to three smartest characters in the Marvel yep. Universe, uh, has, is, has a power suit of her own. Uh, and so we will get that story in Ironheart. That'll be fun. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. And I think i'm pretty sure that i think she went to mit and then in black panther 2 they were one of the first movies that's ever been able to actually film in mit because mit doesn't let movies shoot there but they let them shoot there so i think we might meet riri in black panther 2 and then that could be where we end up going to see her from in her own show speaking of black panther 2 quick news so uh nate moore mcu vp of development was on uh the ringiverse over at my old employer with uh Van Lathan and Charles, and basically said, uh, we're not going to recast T'Challa as Black Panther. Here's what I thought when I read this. Okay, you're going to recast him, but it's just not going to be now. That's what yeah. that, that's how gonna, I read that. It's like five years get, from now, will yeah. they recast him? Maybe not. Ten years? A hundred percent, yes, they will find another. They will just wait an amount of time that is respectful, and then they will recast yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do Casper Cole. It's right. almost certain he's you know they love a cop, they love a black cop in the MCU. So he's gonna come in. He's gonna be the new Black Panther. I did think they were gonna go with Shuri with the things going on that going on in the real world. Now I do not think that is necessarily Shuri's gonna Shuri be the case. And, right, and, and, and I think that's very sad. An unvaccinated um, person. 
Yes, who is who now that they had to stop the shooting of Black Panther 2 until the new year because she has been off Letitia with an injury. Yeah. It's a shame. I thought Shuri and Letitia Wright was like one of the best things about Black Panther. Agreed, um, same. But yeah, I think we'll get Casper Cole. I think you're right. I, I think five years is actually a very reasonable amount of time that they will probably do it, if not before. Remember when they said they would not CG Carrie Fisher back into Star Wars and then they and did then it twice what immediately? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think Casper Cole is a likely opportunity. I think they also cast someone as like White Tiger. So I think we're going to get a lot of these different almost T'Challa's, but yeah. not T'Challa. I was a little surprised that he just came out and said this. Although again, you know, to be clear... I think everybody believes that they will recast. It's just not now. Not within yeah. the next two, three, four years. Yeah. Or the only other way I can see them doing it is like they have a plan that, you know, the comics are written by writer's room, by by different. Yeah. They always have been. You know, there was an X-Men room, uh, Chris Claremont, Annie Nascenti, Wies Simonson. Like, and I, maybe, they're tr- maybe they're planning to introduce a kind of new Black Panther that they feel like could be almost a Miles Morales reconsideration of who it right. is. And in that way, maybe they mean it. But I mean, really, it's T'Challa. That's Black Panther. Chadwick was Black Panther, but this is also a corporation. They're not going to retire his number forever, you know. It's it's just not the way they work. Yeah, whether it's, again, whether it's five years from now or, or, you know, farther out, they will get another T'Challa from the multiverse or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure he means, like, in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Up next, the omnibus. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy. The way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Welcome to the Omnibus, where lore analysis and understanding come together today. Uh, let's pull back the disconcertingly KKK-like cowl on the Moon Knight, Marvel Comics' long-running character, the Moon Knight, the Guardian of Khonshu. It's a really fascinating time for Moon Knight to make his MCU debut, uh, the subject of mental health after two years in a pandemic, has become a prominent topic in conversation for basically the first time ever in American popular life. 
we are discussing mental health, mental health uh, of athletes, of other notable people has been a point of discussion. You know, the discussions are messy, but I think it's good that it's being talked about. And into that conversation comes the character of Mark Spector, a former mercenary turned superhero, kind of, who is defined, at least in, in recent years in Marvel Comics, by his struggle with mental health issues, specifically disassociative identity disorder, which is formerly known as, and perhaps still more commonly known as, multiple personality disorder. By choosing Oscar Isaac for the role, Marvel has made one of its most high-profile casting choices yet, which, alongside some of the kind of like circumstantial evidence in the comics, which we'll talk about, leads me to theorize that uh, Moon Knight is very possibly a character upon which some potentially big plot developments within the MCU might hinge, and certainly a character that has a lot of kind of crossover appeal and team-up appeal because of the particular space that he uh, takes up within the Marvel Universe. Mark Spector, who would go on to become the Moon Knight, debuted in Werewolf by Night number 32, cover dated August 1975. Uh, in this issue, Jack Russell, our titular lycanthrope hero, is ambushed by a mysterious masked and hooded Klansman. And only, no, just kidding. It only looks like a Klansman. It only looks like a Klansman costume. This figure is armed with metal gauntlets uh, that are tipped with silver knuckle claws, of course, silver being uh, uh, deadly to a werewolf. Moon Knight absolutely mollywops Jack Russell, although there are extenuating circumstances here where Jack, as a werewolf, had a broken hand because in his human form, he like got mad and punched a wall and then his hand got broken. Then he turned into a werewolf, but his hand didn't heal. That seems like, let's go back and fix that. I think when you turn into a werewolf and you have an injury, your injury should heal. Anyway, that played a role in Moon Knight absolutely walloping uh, Jack Russell. And after this, Moon Knight reveals his backstory to Jack. Uh, Mark was contacted by a shadowy collection of rich guys known as the Committee. Never good when a bunch of rich guys get together like in deserted warehouses to plan stuff. The group calls Spectre to a meeting to this aforementioned deserted warehouse uh, to offer him a job. Soldier of fortune, mercenary, veteran of three African wars, five South American revolutions, says one of the members of the committee. Brief flirtation with the CIA, weapons expert, versatile practitioner of virtually all the martial arts, ex-prize fighter, marine commando for eight years. Wow, that is quite a CV. Uh, the committee is willing to pay Spectre a cool $10,000 for capturing the werewolf Jack Russell, which is honestly for 1975, that's legit good. That's good money. And they will even provide the costume and the weapons. This will be later retconned. I'll get to that in a second. Now, Spectre is like, this is a little weird, right? You know, like these guys, there's something, something untoward about this. The vibe is a little off, but you know what? I am a mercenary. I've done crimes on uh, several continents and many countries, and therefore I will take the deal. I will take the money and I will deliver the werewolf, which he does. He delivers the werewolf as contracted. The committee... Their plans for Jack Russell, the werewolf, is basically to use him as like a kind of like feral assassin, you know, untraceable werewolf, black magic assassin that they just kind of release 
and set on someone they want gone and then they will be gone and nobody will ever be the wiser to figure out like how to trace it back to the committee. In the end, Moon Knight is like, nah, I'm getting bad vibes from this. So he sets the werewolf free and together they just basically beat up the committee members, or at least Moon Knight, like, beats up the committee members, knocks them unconscious. Uh, Jack Russell is, like, tearing their, like, guts out and eating their intestines. <laughs> and then after this, uh, they go their separate ways. And we don't see Moon Knight uh, for a number of years. Moon Knight is the creation of writer Doug Munch and artist Don Perlin. Perlin in the Werewolf by Night series really has that wonderful style, very reminiscent of Bob Kane, the co-creator of Batman. Um, this will play into, you know, some of the comparisons to Batman that always hit Moon Knight. In 1980, Munch uh, teamed up with rookie artist Bill Sienkiewicz to launch Moon Knight's solo title. Sienkiewicz's work here on the Moon Knight solo is, you know, very, very traditional stuff. But he would soon develop a modernist style, which combined pencils and inks, along with watercolor paints, collage and mimeograph, and other techniques not usually seen in superhero comics to create something that was like really revolutionary and super, super cool. Check out his 1986 Electra Assassin limited series with writer Frank Miller to see really some of the most striking art ever created for comics, certainly for big two comics. Uh, moving back to Moon Knight, the first few issues of the Moon Knight solo title lay out the characters, essential lore and allies. Mark Spector is a mercenary in employ of a terrorist named the Bushman, who in turn has been hired to put down by any means necessary, a rebellion in the Sudan. Now, this basically entails just like gunning down <laughs> entire villages worth of people, which to Mark's credit, he does not like. He doesn't like it, but he doesn't not like it enough to quit the job. <laughs> Mostly he vents to his, his buddy Jean-Paul, a.k.a. Frenchie, who is a pilot and soon-to-be Moon Knight's uh, longtime sidekick. Later, in an ancient tomb under the statue of the god Khonshu, the protector of night travelers, Mark dies from, you know, exposure and wounds as Marlene, the daughter of an archaeologist that Mark recently helped Bushman murder, looks on. Khonshu then resurrects Mark and Mark uh, reawakens with a purpose, and this purpose is to be Khonshu's earthly vengeance, the protector of travelers at night. The Moon Knight. And to accomplish this, Mark takes all his mercenary blood earnings, all the money he earns in various countries for killing civilians, and he invests them on Wall Street, as any great American should do, under the alias of Stephen Grant, a Wall Street whiz. This being the go-go 80s, the Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, financial sector deregulation 80s. Stephen Grant is soon a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. But, listen, any good crime fighter slash guardian of travelers at night slash fist of Khonshu needs to understand what's happening in the street. Stephen Grant, multimillionaire, that's not going to get it done. So Spectre creates yet another alias, this of Jack Lockley, a kind of like wise cracking cab driver who is just streetwise and knows what's going on out there at night. Spectre uh, runs his crime fighting operation out of a mansion on Long Island where he lives with his sidekick Frenchie, Marlene, 
Now his girlfriend, despite the fact that he killed her dad. And also, interestingly, Marlene only refers to Mark as Stephen. She is Stephen's girlfriend, not Mark's girlfriend. So some of the kind of like blending and collapsing of uh, spaces between identities is is really right there uh, pretty early on, even if it's not explicit. Uh, Moon Knight is also one of Marvel's most notable Jewish superheroes, along with uh, the thing of the Fantastic Four, who wasn't explicitly Jewish until later. Kitty Catherine Pride, she prefers to go by Catherine now. I still call her Kitty when I think about her. And of course, Magneto. And Mark's relationship to Judaism in the Moon Knight solo title is explored in a way that was really unique for Marvel at the time. Now, Moon Knight, as mentioned, is often referred to as Marvel's Batman. And you can see it, right? It's, you know, uh, in addition to the mask and the cowl, you have a rich guy, a man of leisure who spends his days just kind of like carousing with his girlfriend, Marlene, who spends his nights in tights and a mask and a cape, throwing little like moon-shaped boomerangs at bad guys. So it's all right there. Doug Munch would later write Batman over at DC, which kind of like even further underlined the comparison. But on an episode from the Comic Geek Speak podcast from 2005, Munch insists that any resemblance between Mark Spector and Bruce Wayne is, is purely unintentional. Mainly due, he says, to Sienkiewicz's penciling style at the time, which was heavily informed by longtime Batman artist Neil Adams, and the fact that both of them are, quote, nighttime characters in this Munch points out is just a function of why he created Moon Knight, right? Moon Knight was created because they needed a bad guy to fight the werewolf, and the werewolf only appears at night. Bing, bang, boom. Now, Moon Knight, uh, the, the original solo title, Volume 1, ran for 38 issues in the finale. Fed up with his life as a kind of night-crawling caped crusader, Mark hangs up his costume. And honestly, like when you read the series... It just seems like in addition to the crime fighting, it's a, it's so much work. Like not only is he Stephen Grant who has to play the stock market, but then he has to be Jack and actually like take fares and drive around. It is like he's working three jobs. It's enough of this. Uh, subsequent appearances of Moon Knight over several limited series, a few one shots and multiple relaunches of a solo title – it is established that uh, Moon Knight's aliases of Jack and Steven were psychologically and emotionally taxing for Mark. And this eventually evolves into Mark kind of losing himself in his aliases and other identities until he eventually becomes fully dissociative to the point of, in the Jeff Lemire series, really not knowing like what's real and what is his imagination. Even his resurrection under Khonshu and his origin story is painted at times in different tellings uh, as potentially a figment of, of Mark's mental illness. Uh, when Moon Knight Volume 8 by writer Jeff Lemire and artist Greg Smallwood opens, we find Mark locked in a mental hospital experiencing disconnected episodes as Grant and Lockley and other malign hallucinations, which all turn out to be in some form, the work of Khonshu, who is attempting to wear away Mark's identities, his very consciousness, in order so that Khonshu, an elder god, can take over Mark's body and ex actually like exist in reality. Jason Aaron's Avengers uh, run dials 
some of the confusion back, placing Moon Knight uh, back into the kind of like firm shadow of Khonshu. Spectre's physical strength waxes and wanes with the phases of the moon, uh, which is kind of like a retcon, early, the earlier appearances of, of Moon Knight. In the Doug Monch original series, he's just, you know, Moon Knight is just a guy. He's just like a Batman, like a Bruce Wayne, very, very strong, well-trained guy who's an expert fighter, et cetera, but just a guy. Later appearances drew a supernatural element, an actually enhanced individual element where Khonshu is giving Mark super strength, and that super strength gets stronger depending on what phase of the moon it is. Now, back to Jason Aaron's Avengers run, there's a storyline where there's a once in a million years supermoon, and this makes Moon Knight like so OP that it's it's a fun story, but he's so OP that it like basically like almost breaks canon. Moon Knight is so powerful because of this once uh, in a million years supermoon that he is able to defeat in combat and steal the powers of Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, Doctor Strange. Ghost Rider, and this is like freaking shocking, Thor, because apparently Mjolnir is made of Eurometal, and Eurometal is apparently a like a moon ore, and therefore Moon Knight can like control Mjolnir and indeed takes it from Thor. Uh, and then he very nearly uh, defeats Black Panther to take his power, but then it turns out he would have had to kill Black Panther in order to take the power of the Black Panther himself, and he decides not to do it. With his stolen powers, Moon Knight goes to Las Vegas, where Mephisto is living at the time. Mephisto, the uh, Marvel's version of the devil. And he defeats Mephisto and then hands Earth over to Khonshu. Now, Mark at this time was like, pretty confused and it's clear that Khonshu was very heavily influencing Mark to the point where like Mark doesn't didn't know which way it was up. From Mark's perspective, Mephisto is going to take over the world, therefore he needs to be defeated and the only way to do that is to empower Khonshu to uh, you know, take over the world. So Khonshu does this. Eventually the Avengers figure out a way to set everything to rights and they free Moon Knight from Khonshu's illusions and they banish uh, Khonshu back to whence he came. This leads us to the current Moon Knight series that is out right now, in which, post-defeat by the Avengers, Mark has reconnected with Khonshu's, like, original role, the guarding of travelers at night, even though he is, you know, not the biggest fan of Khonshu at this time, because he's, he's quite aware that Khonshu has been causing a lot of his problems. Moon Knight's Midnight Mission, which is his... Uh, basically private eye company that he has founded is a, is a kind of supernatural detective agency where uh, those in need of protection from, you know, night terrors come and find their guardian in the dark. An example of this is residents of a building being attacked by vampires. Uh, so they go to Moon Knight and they're like, Moon Knight, can you do anything about this? And he's like, yeah, we got it. I think it's easy to see how Moon Knight as this kind of traveler, this kind of like protector at night, has a lot of potential to cross over with Blade, with any kind of Werewolf at Night series that might happen, with even uh, Mobius the Living Vampire. A lot of interesting uh, crossover potential there. That's the Moon Knight. Up next, the Hive Mind. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. 
I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we dive deeper into a specific topic with the help of an expert. Today, Extravision is absolutely delighted to welcome Preeti Chibber uh, for a primer about the book series Wheel of Time by uh, Robert Jordan with an assist by Brandon Sanderson, which has been adapted for TV by Amazon, premieres November 19th. Uh, Preeti's podcast about the Wheel of Time, which she co-hosts with Jen Northington, is called Tarvalon or Bust. <laughs> Preeti, welcome, uh, welcome to X-Ray Vision. How are you? Hi. So give us some uh, background on this wild story of Robert Jordan's. Okay, so it's 14 books. Yes. It's, it's 13 books and a prequel, right. which... It's a whole thing. And it took like 20 years. He he passed away, as you said, like towards the end of it. And Brandon Sanderson came in and finished it up. And it's basically, you know, it, it starts as the story of the chosen one who will have to defeat the dark one so that the world doesn't break again because right. it's already happened once. So, okay, Wheel of Time. Let's talk about the actual wheel and what that means. So the Wheel of Time, basically, for anybody that's listening to this, you've, you're probably – well-versed in the idea of a multiverse by now. The Wheel of Time is this kind of cycle of time that is constantly mm-hmm. going again and again and again. Correct? Yes. And, and you know, Jar- Jordan kind of took a lot from, I think, Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies. Uh, and just he was very good at, like, picking and choosing and just dropping stuff into this book, which is fun. But also you're like, mm, okay, context. Yeah. But yeah, so it's basically the time continues to go, but it always goes in a circle. So there will be a breaking there. There is a pattern that people exist inside of and you are a thread in the pattern and all the stories are woven together. It's a very big sort of like metaphor for time. And so when the story goes on for so long, you're like, of course, of course it goes on for so long. And the Dark Lord, who is kind of like the primary force of nature antagonist of the story who has broken free of his prison and is threatening the world. Mm-hmm. Among many other bad guys. Yes. And so as we go into uh, season one, what kind of world will people find? So it's definitely, it definitely feels very like kind of traditional fantasy. You you go in and people are in their long skirts and there are horses and, and that kind of thing. But... You have these factions that exist. So when you enter, we're coming from Moiraine uh, Sedai's perspective, which is the character played by Rosamund Pike. And she's hunting for what is called the Dragon Reborn, who is the savior, who is the chosen one, um, who will defeat the Dark One, who is at this point weakened and ready to be defeated, supposedly. The comparisons to Game of Thrones are going to be kind of like impossible mm-hmm. to avoid. But one of the things that I think is very, very different is that while we have the kind of like political maneuvering in the factions uh, similar to Game of Thrones, there is a much more where, you know, Game of Thrones, it's like it took seasons for the magic to kind of creep in. Yeah. Um, here the magic is just there right away and it is a, a, and it is quite a complex system. 
Take us through the magic, <laughs> the magic of Wheel of Time and all the ins and outs of this very complex and nuanced magic system. Sure. Okay. Really quickly, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's this thing in the show called the One Power, half of which is Satan and half of which is Sadar. And it's a very, I mean, the books are super binary in, I think, a super frustrating kind of way. And the show, it is what it is, right? And so the one power can be channeled by men and women, but when men channel, it's tainted. It's, it's. The taint! The, the, the taint! Oh, <laughs> regret. <laughs> so, there is an event. So for, uh, anyway, for people that are, don't know, there is an event and a thing. In this world that is called the taint. Continue. I'm sorry. To- <laughs> the know. taint. Oh, oh Robert Jordan. <laughs> you couldn't have known. The taint, Robert. The taint. Robert. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So what happened was like at the the breaking of the world that happened that caused this dystopic version where we lost all our technology and all our progress oh, and everything. Yeah, was- when that happened... <laughs> The men's half of the source was tainted. And so now men who channel go mad and the women who channel and the organized faction of the women who channel who are called the Aes Sedai find these men and stop them from being able to do it before they can potentially break the world again. And then, so, okay, there's the one power and then there's also the true power, which is the power of the Dark Lord. The power of the Dark Lord is not really necessarily something that is counter to the One Power. It is powerful, but the Dark One's goal is to kind of like burn it all down and just stop that cycle from happening again and again and just become the leader and become the ruler over all and and make all the choices. You mentioned uh, the dystopicness. Okay, so Mm -hmm. this is interesting because there are hints throughout the books that you know, the wheel of time spins on and on, but mm-hmm. that the events that we see in the books take place actually on Earth, but, you know, years and years, a very, very, very long time after, like, all of the stuff that we're doing right now has happened. It's interesting because it's like it could be a version of Earth. Like, right. the the wheel of time is fantasy, but it's also very sci-fi. When you get to, like, there are dimension jumping, there's, like, all this stuff, and there's this part where you get to see sort of, like, the rise and fall of an entire society through through generations, through the history of a generation of, like, one one family. And, yeah, you, you see that they have, like, hovercrafts and, like, sparky spears and stuff. And so clearly they're, like, they had all this, like, technology and progress that just went away because when you enter the books, you're back to, like, wagons. Yeah. <laughs> homespun wool like so if people lo- liked game of thrones or fantasy in general what will they what is what will there be here for them to latch onto what would you how would you pitch them on you got to give wheel of time a try on amazon I mean, <laughs> lord of the rings with significantly more women yes. which is great uh it's jordan was obviously incredibly influenced by tolkien uh, and also, Wheel of Time predates Game of Thrones in terms of the books. Yes. 
But it's, you know, it's a long journey. It's super complex. There are a lot of amazing characters. Like, characters who are on, like, a page in book three will have, like, entire storylines in book ten. So it's it's so complex, and there's so much story to get into. It's so good. It's, this, is, this is one of those books similar to Foundation on Apple, uh, Apple TV+, Plus, which has been called, like, unadaptable. What does that mean? Like, what, like why did people consider this unadaptable? Uh, I, I was like lucky enough to interview Rafe Judkins a couple weeks ago and he was like, it would be awesome if we could do like 15 years and do this series, but everyone would be like 50 years old by the end. Like you don't, they're literally like, how do you adapt so much information? But I think they've done a really good job. The first season is actually takes stuff from like the prequel books one, two and three. Oh, cool. And pulls all of that into, like, a, a more coherent story for television. Yeah, I mean, there is—this is not to besmirch uh, the great Robert Jordan. But there was a—you f- know, there's a feeling that he was kind <laughs> of like, where do I go with this? Let me just explore some weird side yes. side worlds. <laughs> I'm not like- sure where this is going, so why don't we just, like, do a whole book on some weird shit that happened, like— <laughs> It gets over a in- little— like sloggy yeah. maybe around like book seven <laughs> but it's still really good what was it what would what hooked you to wheel of time like what was the uh what was the the thing that made you a fan of it um well i read the first book when i was like 15 i think a friend gave it to me and it was in that era where all you like all i wanted to read was fantasy yeah and i think a lot of it had to do with how much focus the women get in the series because i wasn't seeing that in any other series um at least from the mainstream where they are the plot wouldn't work without them. Right. You know, like that that at the time was kind of rare and they were not just like like Jordan does POV kind of how Game of Thrones does it where people get their own chapters. Yeah. It's not quite as explicit, but you get perspectives from not just the men but also the female characters and there's this thing that happens in the books right before they all go on their great journey where Rand, Perrin and Matt all are getting dragged into it. They're like, one of you might be this thing, and so you have to come. And Egwene, who is the one girl in their thing, it's like, well, I want to come. And she makes the choice to go. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, she is making an active choice to, like, change her life in a way that I didn't get to see female characters do. Do you want to give us your non-spoiler impressions that potentially don't blow up your embargo-ness? Yes, I can do that because the embargo for reviews lifted this morning. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) I liked the vast majority of it. I think they did a really, really good job adapting it. There were like one or two choices that I am confounded by. But overall, I think it's really good and I really want more seasons. Take us through the kind of like arc of the story and the books. Where do we go? How does this journey kind of like expand and... For anybody that was looking to get into the books, like, what is your feeling about the handoff to to Sanderson from from Jordan? How did it work for you? In terms of the handoff, I know this is pretty divisive in the fandom. I think he did a decent job. Jordan had uh, Jordan knew he was he was not going to be able to finish the books mm-hmm. because he was sick, and so he wrote up really detailed notes for how he wanted the story to end. So it wasn't like Sanderson needed to like 
he was like doing something outside of what Jordan and and his wife had expected for the series. There is a shift in tone and there is a shift in the writing for sure. Like Sanderson tends to kind of, I think, be a little more jokey and maybe a little more lighthearted than Jordan was. But I didn't mind it. Like I didn't, I didn't mind the handoff. I was glad that we got an ending to the series because I, there were many years where I was like, he's not going to finish this. We're never going to know how this book series ends. And I am going to like, be sad for the rest of my life. Um, it is, you know, it is an issue that, I'm, you know, the fandom of A Song of Ice and Fire are dealing with. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that Robert Jordan prepared for it in that way. Mm-hmm. Because my fear, you know, not to hijack this, but my fear with A Song of Ice and Fire is that George has said that he doesn't want to do it. But I also think that publishing being a business, I can't see any reality in which the people that there that make decisions go, you know what? Let's not make $500 million. Let's not do it. <laughs> why don't we not make, why don't we not do that? Um, so they'll probably <laughs> do something and try and finish it. And I just hope that there's a roadmap to do that. Um, uh, yes, same. <laughs> uh, t- you mentioned before, like uh, Jordan's kind of like taking bits of Eastern religion, Buddhism, Islam, different things, and the kind of like sprinkling it in. How does that hit you? And like, is it in a way like I think all fantasy does this to a certain extent? And how does how is Jordan's version of that uh, different or better or worse than some other fantasy? I don't I don't know if it's better or worse. I think it's interesting and. I remember in high school, like, I gave the first book to my mom to read because she was like, what are you reading? And then she read it, and we're Hindu, and she was like, well, that's that's ours, and that's ours, and that's mm. ours, and, and also that's ours. And what Jordan does in, I think, a interesting and, of course, problematic way is just kind of like it does. the context doesn't matter to him, it right. seems like. Like, the context of the thing that he's taking does not matter. And so he just puts it wherever he wants, which makes for, like, interesting storytelling in terms of, like, oh, okay, you've just, like, invented something by pulling all these pieces and not really thinking about what the meaning behind them is and why they exist. And it's created something new. But also when you know what the thing is, you're like, but how – why would you put this here? So it's, it's you What's know, an exam- it's like Give us an example of that. There's a scene that – so the podcast that I co-host is a reread project where my friend and I are rereading all the books and, like, really going into close reading. And there's this section where three of the characters are in a town called Tanchico, and they're eating – clear. they don't – like, he doesn't call them chopsticks, but they are clearly eating with chopsticks. Right. And they are clearly eating Korean-inspired food or Japanese-inspired food, but – where that food comes from is another area that this town is currently fighting against called Eridoman. And there's nothing about Eridoman that that suggests any sort of East Asian influence in the people. Like nothing whatsoever. I see. So he's like taken the food that is clearly influenced by this, but there's no connection outside of the the books between the people and that food and ter- that you can obviously see on the page. Now, what do you say to the people who go, okay, but that's like creative license. Like you can't take uh, you can't take a thing and then move it into another thing and and like you would say what? I mean, you can. Like, right. I'm not. That's what I mean. It's yeah. like I. I think it's. It allows for interesting conversation in a way where he. He's not taking ownership of it, and yeah. he's not like 
you know, doing any of that. And, you know, when I see shaitan, which is another word yes. that Jordan uses for Baalzaman, is a word that I am not as frustrated by. My mother was incredibly frustrated <laughs> by. So I think it's just, <laughs> it's going to it's gonna be what it is. <laughs> so we mentioned, like, you know, how sprawling and huge this show is. What are, uh, in terms of some of the best changes, what have, have been some of the best changes that you've seen uh, over the course of the series? So like one. I said in the in the books, it's the three of them who – the three boys who are potential chosen ones. In the show, they include the two women, which is a very big deal because in the books, the – like Egwene is this – is, this is where it gets complicated. I'm like she's – you know, in the books, they're Taverin. And Taverin means that you impact the story around you or whatever and only Rand, Perrin, and Matt are Taverin. The show is like, no, Egwene is also Taverin, which I think is meaningful because in the book, she is an all but name. Like, they don't name her as such, but she clearly is the same thing. And so it's little changes like that that I think work well and work in their favor because it's doing what the books did, but not taking away anything, just adding to the story. What's your favorite Wheel of Time book? Oh, my oh my God. <laughs> I can't, Can I just tell you my favorite Wheel of Time character? Yeah, you do that. Okay, it's Matt Calpin. He's the best. He's the best. I'm I love him so much. Like I'm so excited that he is finally on screen. I always love this is like a Kevin Lannister thing, but I always love when it's like everybody has high fantasy names and then there's like a random Matt and a Kevin. <laughs> I know. I will say it's it's Matrim, not Matthew. <laughs> Uh, this is very exciting. Show is premiering soon. People are going to get to see it. Give us your "I'm a nerd about this. You must watch it." Preethy pitch for people who are maybe on the fence. They're like, "I can't do it again." What if I? I love sci-fi. I love fantasy, but I'm not sure if I can take the take the leap. And what if it's too complicated? And they said it couldn't be adapted. And now they've tried to do it. <laughs> Make them watch it. Okay. Uh, they have really simplified, I think, based on, on what we've seen so far. It's all these amazing characters. Like, it is a very character-focused television yes. show. And you really like everyone, I think. Like, there's no—even even the villains are so good. Like, I've been thinking about this line that one of the villains says since I watched the screeners, like, three weeks ago. And I want you to watch it because Rafe Judkins has all eight seasons mapped out from beginning to end. So I would really like to make it to the end of those eight seasons and get <laughs> like an entire television show that has been clearly planned from the beginning. And so that's my pitch. Like people who love this series and fans who love this series love it so deeply and there's a reason for it. And I'm, I'm very excited for it to like get out to like the wider world. <laughs> Preeti, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on mostly Twitter, I think, at Run With Skizzers, S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Um, you can find all my books that I'm writing and my podcast at PreetiChipper.com, including Tar, Valen, or Bus, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. We, we update every two weeks, eight chapters at a time. Damn. Some serious homework for you, Preeti. It's so good. I don't even mind. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Up next, Endgame.
Back to the end game where we're playing Assembly Required, the game in which Rosie and I will pick a character who uh, will be randomly assigned a mission that will be selected uh, by our producers, and then we will be uh, selecting our character who we think will best accomplish that mission. Okay, Chris, what is our mission? All right, so the mission this week is to assemble a houseful of Ikea furniture. So a houseful, when you say houseful, you mean like, like kitchen you've, you've table, just moved in. kitchen yeah. chairs, Beds, love everything. seat, entertainment <laughs> center, like the whole thing. You went down to Ikea, you spent like four hours walking through every single nook, looking at every single thing, and you have a whole house full of stuff. How many, how, how many, it's like two bedroom house, one bedroom, give me an idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, let's say, let's say two bedroom, kitchen, living room, and an office. Okay, so master, office, master bathroom, half bath, right outside where the people can go. Yeah, <laughs> the guests, Kitchen, the living room, and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Porch? Mm-hmm. We, we do it in like outdoor furniture or no? Small outdoor porch. Okay. Wow. This is exciting. Why don't you go first? Why okay. Why don't you go first? I'm going to go first. I'm going to pick She-Hulk. She's strong. <laughs> Come on. That's like, she's so strong. She can, she's very smart. She's got a law degree, so I know she's clever. You know, maybe she can bring Bruce along if it's one of the ones where they're like, you need yeah. multiple people to do this. I feel like she also probably has a cool sense of style, <laughs> so she can help me like do it up in a nice way. And... She's just a very helpful person, community-minded. I feel like she is going to be the one to help me build the IKEA furniture. She might break a few things. Depends it, it, how, you know, I, depends how strong she's feeling, how, how in control she is of her powers. But I'll take it. I'll lose a, I'll lose a little table if I can have She-Hulk help me build my house. And it's, it's IKEA stuff, so it's affordable. Exactly. It's affordable. It's affordable. And not only that, if she breaks it as a lawyer— she just go in there and be like, listen, I don't want to pull rank or anything, but I'm a lawyer. I don't want to get into the whole class action suit of it all. But this, this was is effective. Yeah. Effective when I bought it. It just snapped in half. Shocking. Asterisk. I was a gamma creature when I snapped it in half. <laughs> I love that pick. Okay. I will now make my pick. And for my pick to uh, fully furnish a, a two-bedroom home, again, master office, living room, kitchen, master bathroom, half <laughs> bath, and a small porch. I am going to go with, it's going to, listen, she's going to get more tired than uh, Jennifer Walters, the She-Hulk. Not quite as strong, but I think Echo, Maya Lopez, has oh. a power set that is perfect for this because as we all know, it can, listen, the, the instructions for Ikea furniture, they are what they are. Sometimes they're not, it's unclear. Maya just needs to watch that YouTube tutorial like Once. one time and mm-hmm. she's got it. She has got it. In fact, she's got it to such a degree that she could be one of those task rabbit contractors <laughs> that then goes out in her spare time and assembles other people's furniture. Maya Lopez. Love that. It's not just that she's assembling the furniture for her beautifully appointed two bedroom home. It's that this is, Potentially another line of income for her. You, you Should she decide to go off career. and do this? Yes, you gave her that. As, that was your favor to her. You that's were like, right. Now you are a living IKEA catalog. You can go around and furnish anyone's home who has these furnishes in a second. Well, that's it for us, folks, and the end game. Let us know who you think won, who you would pick. Go to X, go to hashtag XRV Endgame to give us your thoughts. Rosie, this is. Uh, 
once again, delightful. I could do this for hours the and joy. hours and hours. The best. Where can folks find you? I'm Rosie Marks on Instagram. I'm at Nerdist, IGN, Polygon, a ton of different places. If you like the kind of stuff we talk about, that's what I write about. Um, yeah, and that's me. So just, and obviously on here with you. Yay! <laughs> Woo! See you next time. Big thank you to Preeti Chibber and Rosie Knight for joining us on another episode of X-Ray Vision. Join us each week on Wednesdays for your weekly dose of the deepest dives. If you want to learn more about what we cover on each episode, check out our listener's guide to all things X-Ray Vision in the show notes, wherever you get your podcasts, or on the Crooked Media website on the page for X-Ray Vision. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. It is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers and our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Bye! <laughs>